0: Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your co-host, J.W. McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new work from our free online publication, Etched Onyx. Please join me and co-host Melissa Collings after the reading when we talk with the author about their work and all things writing and otherwise. Hey, listeners. Today's show features one of our fall contest winners, But before we begin, Melissa and I would like to thank Katie McDougall and A.M. Ringwald, our prose and poetry judges, for their work in selecting the top entries. We also want to thank each writer and poet who submitted your work for consideration. We received many amazing stories and poems, and appreciate the opportunity to read your work. We wish all of you continued success in your writing endeavors. This podcast and all related materials are a production of Onyx Publications. All works, stories, and poems are copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Today's story is our first place winner, Rome by All Means Rome. Written by Kevin Broccoli and narrated by Melissa Collings. Settle in and enjoy.
1: Before we get to the story, let's hear why Katie McDougall picked Rome by All Means Rome as the winning piece of Onyx's Fall Contest. Rome by All Means Rome takes the reader into the theater of a failing marriage characterized by, and ultimately saved by, the couple's obsession with the movies. The self-assured voice, artful structure, and robust use of metaphor worked in tandem to create a nuanced narrative of a relationship and of the narrator's own sense of self. And now, Rome, by all means Rome, by Kevin Brockley. We were meant to divorce after Roman Holiday. As the credits rolled at the end of the film, I found myself sitting in the dark next to Rob, wishing I could see his face in the dark. I've always found that turning to look at the person sitting next to you at a movie is a risk. Whether you know it or not, there's something you're expecting to see. What if you don't see it? What if it's something else? What if the person turns and looks at you as you're looking at them, and both of you are surprised by what's there? A small puddle of dry Diet Coke has been irritating me throughout the movie. I used it as an excuse not to move. Not to create the sound of a shoe being unstuck. Come on, Grace, I told myself. The credits are almost done. The lights are about to come up. Let's get going. We have a plan. The plan was as follows. Draw up a statement that we could deliver to our friends and families put labels on all the items in our home we wanted to take with us once the time came to move. The house itself would go to neither of us, since it would inevitably hold too many bad memories. See a special screening of Roman Holiday at the Bradford Cineplex, where we had our first date as a way to honor a relationship and marriage that was mostly good, until it wasn't. Dinner at Chili's. Early to bed, so as to wake up at 7 a.m. the next day for separate trips to separate lawyers, wherein we would begin the process of dissolving our union. It was critical that a trip to the Cineplex be a part of this plan. People used to comment on how frequently we went to see movies. It was our Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday routine. But we would make special trips for anniversary screenings, or for what we called Oscar runs. At the end of the year, when studios are releasing all their awards fair at once, we would sometimes see two films a day. Rob's father commented that seeing too many movies threatened to create a fantasy life that would overshadow the reality of day-to-day living. This sort of rain cloud mentality was why most of his clients ended up leaving him after a year or two of therapy. The ones who stayed ultimately ended up institutionalized. And even Rob admitted that his father should have gone into a different field. When we got married, his father bought us a five-foot-tall hourglass. When the sand runs out, he explained, swirling gin from the open bar around in his glass at our wedding reception, years will have passed. Here's hoping your marriage outlasts the sand. We had outlasted the sand, but just barely. The hourglass was placed in a closet upon moving into our house on Polymer Lane, and I happened to notice that its top half was empty when I began to clean out some clothing in preparation for the upcoming severance of our union. I considered turning it over, but decided to leave it as it was for the next inhabitants of the house to find. Part of me thought the object might be cursed, but then I remembered that I don't believe in anything supernatural or spiritual. My wedding vows were thoroughly disappointing to everyone but Rob due to their pragmatic nature. Rob, I said, you're a good man. I'm honored to take you as my husband. I heard my mother choke on her disapproval in the front row. The day after I returned from my honeymoon, I got a phone call from her chastising me. I understand that it was your wedding and your vow's grace, she said. But would it have killed you to include the word love in there somewhere? When I got off the phone, I was shaken. Despite how often in life I'd attracted my mother's indignation it never ceased to rattle me. Rob was still writing thank-you notes at the kitchen table when I hung up, and upon seeing my distress, he put down the special pen he used for cards and taxes and said, Why don't we go see a movie? If we had one thing in common, it was our shared love of the movie-going experience. We loved the bluish-purple carpeting in the lobby of the cineplex. We loved asking the girl at the front what book she was reading in between selling tickets. We loved complaining privately to each other that concessions were a rip-off even as we ordered half the menu and devoured most of it before the trailers were complete. We even had theaters within the Cineplex that we preferred over others. I liked Theater 2 and Theater 5, but Rob favored theaters 1 and 9. We both liked Theater 11, and we refused to see anything in Theater 3. We found that our marriage had three personalities. There was mine, Rob's, and the personality of the marriage itself. It had characteristics and taste and anxieties. It was not simply the overlap of our individual selves, but a self unto itself. It was a place we could visit when we wanted to be reminded why we were together. Early in the marriage, that place felt vast. It felt like a colosseum. There were so many things to discover and celebrate. It was a memory palace of future memories. It was a locked diary where we could see each other's secrets and promise never to share them. It was a place we felt safe. If you asked me to paint a picture of it, the best I could do would be a movie theater. One of the IMAX ones where the screen is several stories high and you feel as though you're immersed in whatever it is you're watching. The sound shakes your skin, and if you don't set towards the back, you have to tilt your neck just so you don't miss anything. That was our place. It wasn't perfect. There was spilled soda and scattered popcorn kernels. The volume was sometimes too loud and a few of the seats creaked. But other than that, it was perfect. It was perfect because it was ours. Unfortunately, as the years went on, that place began to shrink. It didn't lose anything but its size. But, as it turns out, the size is sort of the point. If nothing else, it needs to be large enough to accommodate two people. Our marriage went from being an IMAX, to an indie house, to one of those theaters that used to attach the side of a mall. Two aisles on either side and a broken projector. Ripped up carpeting, holes in the screen. Nowhere you'd want to go. Nowhere that could make you happy. Still, we kept showing up there the same way we kept showing up at the movies, The Cineplex kept expanding its theaters even as our love compressed. The price of a medium popcorn went up. We didn't even notice. Apologies to Gloria Swanson, but it became evident that the pictures were still big. It was simply our marriage that had gotten small. One Tuesday, after seeing an action film that I liked and Rob didn't, we went out for drinks. And Rob told me that he hated his job. He said he'd always hated his job. That it made him miserable. That every day it was a struggle to sit at his desk and deny loans to people who needed them and smile at his boss who would leave each afternoon at 2 p.m. for an assignation with one of Rob's co-workers at a seedy motel down the street. He'd never confessed any of that to me. All this news wasn't anywhere in our marriage. Immediately, I went looking to see if I missed it somewhere in our marriage theater. Upon arrival, I discovered that I could no longer fit. There was a single chair and a trailer playing on a loop. Coming soon. A divorce. My enchiladas were getting cold. I looked at Rob. There are moments where, if you run fast enough, you can catch a departing train. The question is, can you run fast enough? There was my husband, leaving the station. I didn't have it in me. I simply couldn't run that fast. Rob had never seen Roman Holiday and I had only viewed it once when I was 13 and obsessed with all things Audrey Hepburn. My mother stood in the doorway to my bedroom and commented that Audrey was not really that great of an actress but simply had an abundance of charm. She meant it as an insult but to me it sounded like a superpower. An abundance of charm. No wonder everybody fell in love with her. I decided to try and cultivate some of that charm for myself. But it never sat easy with me. I was never going to be Princess Anne or Sabrina Fairchild or even Eliza Doolittle before she's made over. I was too turned in on myself, too guarded. My father told me one day that he was going to get his car washed. And that was the last we ever saw of him. When Rob would complain about his own father's shortcomings, I would agree but silently think to myself, at least when he gets his car washed, he comes home afterwards. When I fell short of channeling Audrey Hepburn, I began a lifelong love affair with a tougher side of glamour. The Betty Davis contemporaries. Not that there were many of those. My mother caught me acting out a scene from All About Eve one night before bedtime. And she asked why I couldn't just watch regular movies made for people my age. I told her I didn't feel my age. I felt removed from the present time, although I couldn't articulate that part of it to her at that moment. There was a lost quality to me that concerned her, although I was a good student who never got into trouble. She sent me to therapy only to have the therapist report back that aside from a stubborn emotional detachment, I was perfectly well adjusted. Upon leaving his office after our second and final visit, I thought, well, now you're really on your own. Right after college, a friend invited me over to her house on Halloween to watch scary movies. There were eight or nine people there, and I wound up sitting next to this gangly guy a year older than me who kept looking at me through both the first and second movie, Nightmare on Elm Street, and When a Stranger Calls. As we were getting up to leave, I kept asking him if he was checking on me to make sure I wasn't afraid. Oh no, he said. I knew you weren't afraid. You look like you've never been afraid of anything in your entire life. I'm sure he thought that was a compliment. And that's how I chose to take it. But it was the first time Rob was wrong about me. I thought I could take the inaccuracy and grow into it. That was my first mistake. But I would replicate it throughout our marriage. Then why were you looking at me? I asked. He ran his hands through the best mop of blonde hair I'd ever seen in my life. The other attendees were saying their goodbyes. My train was leaving. I guess you were my favorite movie of the night, he said. The next morning at breakfast, I told him that was the corniest line I'd ever heard in my life. He agreed, but then motioned to the diner around us and the clothes we were both still wearing from the previous evening as if to say, but it worked, didn't it? Nora Ephron said that Sleepless in Seattle was not about love, but about love in the movies. Rob and I watched that movie together once, and agreed that You've Got Mail was a far superior film. What a cop-out to end the picture right as the two main characters meet. Nothing against Nora, but a modern audience watching the film might not so easily assume that Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan wind up together. In fact, I was far more inclined to believe that those two realize in the taxi that they're not compatible. Meg asks to get dropped off at the airport, and Tom takes his young son to the Statue of Liberty the next day after making him promise that he won't attempt any further matchmaking. In my rendition of the epilogue that wasn't, Tom's character presents the Statue of Liberty to his son like a gift, the same way the French did, and says, It may not be as romantic as the Empire State Building, but it stands for freedom. It's a torch that never goes out. Nothing romantic about that. Nothing romantic about liberty, but glorious, right? Glorious all the same. That's why I became a chef instead of a writer. Roman Holiday does not allow for any pontificating. Spoiler alert. At the end of the film, Audrey has to accept that she's a princess, and Gregory Peck is both slightly miscast in his part and not royalty. They share some parting sentiment, and then they go their separate ways with only their memories of motorbikes and kissing on a riverbank. When we chose the picture as our last cinematic hurrah together, neither Rob nor I worried that anything in it would overwhelm us. It was just a romantic comedy, and an old one at that. Frivolous, frothy, and harmless. It had been so long since I'd seen it that I didn't recall there not being a happy ending. Though it wouldn't be realistic, it seemed impossible that Hepburn and Peck would not wind up together. If Julia Roberts and Richard Gere, an escort and a millionaire, could find a lasting love on a fire escape, why couldn't a princess and a reporter? Why did this have to be love? Why couldn't it be love in the movies? The ending etched itself into me like a bad cold. I wanted to turn and see if Rob was as affected by it as I was. The credits played. The spilled soda pulled out so that it covered both my feet and then my hands and my neck. I couldn't move. It must be the fault of the dried-up Diet Coke. What else could it be? The secured space of my marriage, the place I knew I would have to surrender, was already boarded up. I couldn't see it, even in the most fantastical parts of my mind. Now, here was its physical iteration— and that had lost its comfort as well. Would I ever be able to watch a movie again? The lights rose. Several people around us got up immediately. One made a comment about how gorgeous Audrey Hepburn was. They don't make them like that anymore. An employee from the theater came down the right aisle and finagled with the air conditioning. An older couple two rows in front of us shared a kiss, and then the man said something that made his partner laugh. I could see all this, but I couldn't see Rob. I wouldn't turn my head. As soon as I turned my head, it would be off to dinner, and then back home to a place that was no longer home. Then an empty bed. Then a lawyer's office. Then, 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 then. Then, Rob said. Grace. I turned my head. He was looking at me. Rob, I said, How long have you been looking at me? After placing the medium popcorn that stood between us on the floor next to the soda puddle, he took my hand, the hand that still had my wedding ring on it. The thing is, he said, his wedding ring brushing against mine. I should have never stopped. We always insisted on going to the theater, because when you watch a movie at home, you're not doing it justice. You take a phone call, you notice a bit of dust on a bookcase and get up to clean it. You leave the picture on in the background while you do one chore or another. You don't give it your full attention, and then you wonder why you didn't like it more than you did. In a theater, it's just you and the movie. Nothing to get in the way of you appreciating it, if that's what you're meant to do. It turns out marriage is very much the same way. You have to sit quietly at times and try not to miss anything. Even then, you will. But you can always go back and rewatch it. Love is not like it is in the movies. But it turns out the movies can teach you a lot about how to love someone. When we tell people about that time in our marriage, they squeal with delight when they find out that Roman holiday was what saved us. Audrey Hepburn coming to the rescue for two lovers on the rocks. Teardrops falling on two hands that joined together and never let go. A last-minute reconciliation as the final notes of Arik and Young's score played their way out. We understand the impulse to think of it that way. It's not exactly the truth. But it's a hell of a movie. You've just listened to Rome by All Means Rome by Kevin Broccoli. Welcome to the post story portion of the podcast. I'm your co-host Melissa here with JW. Hello. As you may be aware, here at Onyx Publications we have just concluded our fall contest. Special guest judges Katie McDougal from Nashville's The Porch and A. M. Ringwalt read through all the contest submissions. And there were a lot, and Kevin's story stood out and was awarded first prize. We have Kevin on the show today to discuss his winning short story. Congratulations, Kevin, and welcome. Thank you so much. We're so pleased to have you on the show. Kevin is an award-winning writer currently residing in Rhode Island, and his work can be found in multiple publications. So let's find out more. Who is Kevin Broccoli?
2: Hi. So I'm I'm so excited to be here. I'm thrilled to have won the contest, especially for a story that I actually submitted to a few different places. Hmm. Um, didn't seem to get anywhere, and I thought, oh well, I guess it's just garbage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's very difficult, you know. When you're a writer, you don't always have a great sense of whether or not what you've written is good, although I felt very good about this one. Mm. And so I was so thrilled to see people respond positively to it. Um, And I guess it's just a message about, you know, if you think you have something, be persistent.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, what we've said on the show many times is that you just don't know what the different publications are looking for, who's reading it, you know, and um, sometimes a piece can be really good, but this happened to us once where we had a really good piece. I really liked it, but I had already selected one that was very similar in theme. And so it's kind of like, well, we have to pass on this, but you know, it's a worthwhile story kind of thing.
2: Yeah. yeah. I I just received a a rejection recently that was very nice where the editor explained that something similar had happened. Mm -hmm. um which is so nice i know not everyone can take the time to do that some people get hundreds and hundreds of submissions um but this was particularly useful because she actually said to me you know this is the only reason we didn't choose it you definitely need to either submit it or like if you're if you want to be really nice you can wait a year and resubmit and we'll run it in a year you know like we right um because you know as a writer you just don't know and you don't you you only have so much energy uh Mm -hmm. when it comes to this stuff so and and some places have submission fees and so sometimes it becomes a finance issue so it's really helpful for someone to either say look this is this is good don't give up on this one keep it going definitely Um, or be blunt with you and say dude you got to move on (laughs) yeah (laughs) right good
0: (laughs) most places aren't going to do that though yeah yeah
1: (laughs) yeah they'll give you just a form rejection but you never know what that form rejection even means so right. it's great that you were persistent and it's very subjective out there so that's it it's is. wonderful to hear and now you, you have a little bit of money you can spend it on more contests i know <laughs> yeah. i'm
2: excited yeah it's it's really just the um like i said it's that there are moments where you finish something and you feel like oh this has something to it um and for whatever reason you sort of keep at it i always say that one of the ways I know that maybe I have something is that after I work on it and I don't look at it for about a week or two, I come back to it and I go, I don't really know who wrote this. Um, it just, it looks strange, you know, it looks. And, and when I was reviewing the story to talk with you both today, I really had to deeply reread it because (laughs) there was so much of it where I went, I don't remember, like, where was I when I wrote this? Like, (laughs) this is, (laughs) um, it allows me to say, oh, I'm re- I am think it's really good because it doesn't really, f- and I-, I used to write plays and I would say the same thing that, you know, I would go and do talkbacks about the plays and sometimes I would really gush about these plays and people would go, God, he's kind of conceited. And I would go, no, it's, it's that <laughs> at least for me, when you do it correctly or when you have something, a lot of the times you really do feel like it came from somewhere outside of yourself. And so you right. don't really feel like you're patting yourself on the back. You feel like, look at this crazy gift that was given to me that, you know, I'm just uh, I'm just here to shepherd into the world.
1: I love yeah. that. That's awesome. And I think, too, you know, the time between writing it and submitting or the time between writing it and then, you know, years can pass before you look at a piece of work again and you're you're kind of a different person. Absolutely. And so you can look at it with different eyes and it's OK to to gush about it. Yeah. I like that so much. Well, this is a really interesting piece. So, can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind it? How it came about, if you remember? <laughs>
2: yeah, I <laughs> um I am a huge movie lover and I'm a huge Audrey Hepburn fan. Okay. And I I um, would have
1: never guessed that.
2: Yep, I'm a huge Audrey Hepburn fan and I'm a huge movie lover. <laughs> um and it came about because there was um I think I was writing it for another contest or something, they were looking for stories about marriage and sort of marriage ending or, or marriage being saved. And I wanted to write about one of those marriages where nothing's really wrong, yeah. but it's just flatlined. Hmm, yeah. And I think, especially where we are now, sort of coming out of a pandemic. There was this feeling that, like, we're going to get to the end of the pandemic, and all of a sudden, everything is going to be bright colors, and everything that was uh, uh, muddy is going to become clear. And, uh, you know, we're just going to shuck off our old clothes and put on (laughs) new clothes. And, you know, and a lot of us, I think, are here going, God, it all kind of looks the same. (laughs) And trying to figure out what to do about that. And also trying to figure out, if we should even attempt to thrive in a time of survival, you know, and I'm very lucky. I haven't really been in many bad relationships, but I have been in relationships like the one in the story where you go, well, am I selfish for thinking like it could be better? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started out from that point of view of here are two people who have gotten complacent with each other and the thing that they share is a very complacent activity you know it's it would be one thing if they were both rock climbers you know it's another thing when what you enjoy the most is just sitting quietly next to someone because Mm. you start to think well couldn't i sit next to anyone or couldn't i sit alone like what's what's what's, um i had a friend who said that you know love is just finding someone to watch tv with you every night (laughs) (laughs) which is both really depressing but also like when you don't have it, it it is somewhat, you know, uh, right. it's somewhat different. <laughs> it's it's very different when you go into work the next day and you say, what did you do all night? Oh, I watched TV by myself on the couch versus, oh, me and my husband watched some movies. It just sounds right. like you had a completely different experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I started from that point of view. And then the structure of the story came about because I knew I wanted to... I wanted it all to take place during the filming of this movie. So they're thinking back on things, the narrator is. But really, they have until the end of this movie. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like their last meal. And the challenge as a writer for me was, what could possibly happen during this movie that's going to save this marriage? Because I really wanted to get to the end of the story and have the marriage be saved. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And so how during a very passive activity could something shift and because I'm a movie lover I know that that's the incredible thing about movies is that it it can bring you back to somebody that you were before it can remind you of what's important um or it can just you know sweep you up and make you feel you know all all romantic (laughs) um and and so that's how it all sort of came about usually I like to start out with an unsolvable problem and say, you know, how do we solve the problem by the end of the story?
0: I like that. Wow. That's great. Do you have a word count that you target when you do these kind of things?
2: Um, Not really. This one's longer than most of the stuff I've written. They (laughs) had a lot to say. Um, (laughs) If I had known that this was going to be the story it was going to be when I started out, I don't think I would have written it because I'm not very romantic. I have literally zero interest in love stories normally. <laughs> I find love stories unbelievably boring. So if oh. I had known it was going to be this sort of mushy gushy, I thought I thought it was it's not really mushy gushy, but they are yeah, very unabashedly some. in love. Um and it's very domestic and and I don't like flashbacks. When I got when I knew there had to be flash, I was like, oh God, now we gotta do flashbacks to them. Just because I hate when you're reading books and they're like, and there we were in our dorms in the 70s and everyone was wearing the the Burke and stuff, you know like it's just right. like you know exactly what's going to happen and yeah. so really continuing to center it in film help was helpful
3: hmm. yeah.
2: um but it felt like it finished when it was finished and that's usually what I do I usually kind of get a sense of like okay wrap it up you yeah. know um yeah. I used to say when I did theater you have your ending and the audience has their ending and their ending is always 10 minutes before your ending oh wow so it's really important that you know where their ending is, because once you hit their ending, you need to start to you need to demonstrate that you're aware that the pacing needs to change, mm-hmm. or the audience will start to feel like you're taking them for granted. So uh... I do, I sort of apply the same thing to writing for prose or anything where I go, okay, I know when the story's done, but when is the reader done?
0: Interesting,
2: because um, the reader I think will hang in for that extra however long provided they know that you know they're done Mm
3: -hmm.
1: that is so interesting i have never heard of that perspective before so i like that that's something to think about as a writer you know especially so i'm i'm intrigued by this first of all it's so funny because what you dislike is exactly what i have just written i just (laughs) finished a novel that is a love story (laughs) that is with flashbacks so that tickles me so much Everybody has their, you know. There's an audience out there for. I don't
2: even mind reading it so much. It's just writing it. I I don't feel yeah. very adept at it. So like I I I like reading just about anything. But yeah, th- for some reason me, you know, I'm a child of divorce. And yeah. Yeah. when I start to go down that path in that genre, there's just that divorce kid in the back of my head going, this is false. You know, yeah. this, is, <laughs> yeah. this is a lie. Aww. And so yeah. I just go, oh, all, right, all right, never mind. We'll work on something else. We'll do something else. We'll do something else. Yeah.
1: It's interesting that you ended up writing this piece and you did it so well, given your, given your background and everything and, and your dislike for, not, you know, you're just maybe not affinity for this, which is interesting. Yeah. But so I'm curious, why did you choose the POV that you chose between the two here?
2: Uh, I went with the more pragmatic person because I felt like that's who I could live with. And um, I really like writing from uh, the standpoint of women because I just feel like they're more honest. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, I want to hang out with a narrator who's being honest with me and and women tend to be more honest. Um, And it really felt at the beginning like it was up to him to get it together. Okay. And so there was no he... point really. I guess it could have been from his point of view and you could have went with him as he had that revelation. Yeah. But I I found that I wanted to live with her for a bit and then it became this really lovely moment of her and the reader being surprised. Yeah. When he he sort of has his his moment. And so I thought that was kind of nice. Um mm. that being said, you know, there's a version of this where they alternate there, you know, there's a version where it's him and not oh, her. There's really? a version where, well, when I say version, I mean, I I think about all this in my head first. Yeah, you know, yeah. there's that third third person where I'm kind of just looking in on the two of them. Yeah. But I really wanted to understand that this was not something where they hated each other,
1: where yeah. they had not grown
2: mm. to hate each other, where there was not any animosity. Yeah. And that in some ways the conflict is driven from that. That if there were animosity, yeah. there'd be something to work with, and right. that it just feels as though there's nothing to work with'
1: interesting, I th- yeah, I think that's so relatable, and when I was first reading this and I, and I was like, wonder where he's going with this <laughs> and because I had just finished I guess it's been a few weeks now a research for my my genre, which is more on the romance side um and I read the Five love languages there's a book, I can't even remember the author's name at this moment. I won't take the time to think. But, um, and it was talking about how love is a verb, not something you really fall into, but it's a verb. It's something you have to work at. And so it was really satisfying at the end of your story where I, I was like, they they're choosing to work at this. You know, like there are a lot of people who I think feel that stagnant, you know, people have been together for a long time. It's like, oh, we fell out of love. It's like, you can't really fall out of love. Because love is, is action. And you have to decide, do you want to put the work in or do you not? And, and so I thought that – I loved how you approached that. I really thought it was very um, genuine and valid. And it's
2: interesting to me that by going to the movies and understanding that love is not like – you know, it's that great Nora Ephron quote that Sleepless in Seattle isn't about love. It's about love in the movies. Yeah. Um, that what, exactly what you just said, that, look, it's not going to be like the movies. It's going to be work. Right
1: right Mm -hmm. right
2: you know but they're reminded of that by going to see a movie that they love you know that they
1: yeah
2: um but in the movie and why i chose roman holiday they don't get together you know they they don't have a love story they have to separate you know and so it's one of the rare examples of like a very very Uh, It's funny when I see, oh, Roman Holiday, this great escapist fantasy, I'm like, well, yeah, because she's like a princess and he's a journalist and stuff. But it actually is very realistic in the sense that, like, she doesn't abandon her kingdom at the end and run off with Gregory Peck. You know, they they sort of become adults and go their separate ways. And so I didn't know at the beginning what movie I was going to pick because my favorite is Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah, And so (laughs) and I know it really, really well. And I don't know Roman Holiday as well. Um, but Breakfast at Tiffany's is absolutely the fantasy, you know, it's, <laughs> it's absolutely like the everything just comes together perfectly, you know, the, the everybody changes on their own, nobody has to do any work. And I thought Roman Holiday, I'm like, well, I, thought, I feel like they'll like, they would like Roman Holiday. You that's know, nice. I feel like maybe they went to Italy at some point and they <laughs> did a little fun trip together. And, you know, I feel like that's the movie that they would respond to.
1: I love that. It's not what you like; it's what they like.
2: Right? Yeah.
0: Right. That's a, well. I have not seen either of those movies. Oh my gosh! So you have, to do, <laughs> you have to do that. You have to. I could tell as I was reading it. I was like, "This person knows a lot about these movies, and I know nothing about them." But I was yeah. still able to enjoy it.
2: I always say Roman Holiday is one of those. It's a great Monday night movie. You know, there's you can watch anything on like a Sunday afternoon and Saturday, Friday, whatever. But it's like there's not a lot of great like sort of like I'm half awake. I maybe have 90 (laughs) minutes until I'm completely passed out and I do not. And I want to like enjoy myself, but I don't really want to think that hard. And like Roman Holiday is, so is Breakfast at Tiffany's. They're both great (laughs) Monday night movies.
1: I love that. That's funny. Yeah. Readers can have homework and then your story means even more. That's so cool. It's fun. All
0: right. So anyway, it's a great story. Very enjoyable. Thank you for submitting it and congratulations again on winning first place. And we are one of those places that charges for submission to our listeners out there. So we try to keep it low, though.
2: <laughs> it's lower than most. Trust me. I it's uh, as a playwright who submits stuff. Usually the submission fees are like pretty low. And when I started submitting short stories, I was like, "Wow, like this is like oh boy, are you going to send <laughs> yeah. me like a picnic basket on t- Like, right. <laughs> I mean, they're like some of them are like thirty, forty dollar. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, holy cow! Wow. Right I should have yeah. become a. I should have, like, become a professional reader for things. Like, how much to the... <laughs> yeah. Um, and I get it. Some of them are contests for actual books. So, yeah, I get, like, why right. it's like, if you make right, us read this right. thing, you better pony up. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's definitely a, a new world for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's... Yeah. Um, okay, so a little bit on your background and the materials that you sent. So you worked with libraries for 20-some years. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, I started working at a library when I was in high school, just shelving books and putting stuff away. And then I eventually was there long enough. It's, it's in many ways, a go- I worked at a town library. So in many ways, it's a government job. You know, you stick around long sure. enough, you'll learn how to do everything. Right. Wow. So by the time I left, I was the head of circulation. I was ordering the fiction books and cataloging fiction. Right. I mean, that's the fun thing. The job everybody wants is ordering the books. Yeah. Yes. So I got to order the books and maintain the collection, which was a lot of fun. And from beginning to end, it was about 20 years of that. Yeah, wow. Um, wow. From 17 to where I, you know, about a year ago. And then last year was just one of those total life upheaval years Mm -hmm. and uh, had a real interest in tech and technology. And there was just something about uh, a field that everybody's always talking about, you know, yeah, it, it started to feel like that new restaurant in town that for whatever <laughs> yeah. reason, I hadn't eaten that. <laughs> yeah. So cute. I said, okay, well, let me let me give this a shot. You know, I wouldn't have said I was a particularly like tech-savvy person. Right. Um, so I'm really diving into a brand new field. But I've kept writing, and one of the things that appealed to me about it as well is that I kind of think what you do as a writer is you try to put as much stuff in your basket as possible. And yeah. so anytime you have the opportunity to learn something or you know, experience something new. I think it can be, um, it's why in between leaving the library and starting my tech job, I, I had time to just sort of relax and not do anything. And I ended up driving for Lyft and Uber Ooh. for a summer. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that Every is... writer has to do that. I'm telling you. I was about I don't to care say, if, yeah. yeah. I don't care if you make a million dollars a year, get in your car and like for an hour a week go drive for lyft and uber somewhere it is instant instant inspiration
0: nice yeah i believe it that's yeah that's like a cab driver i mean you get all of these people oh my gosh from all over the world kind of just popping in your car and yeah oh, yeah snipper.
2: yeah people will just would get in the car and right away you just knew you were like oh, we're about to do some therapy like, we're, <laughs> gonna, we're gonna do so- some therapy today
1: would they yeah. start talking to you, or did you like? I- I'm going to see what I can get I, out no, of these. No, I people. had a
2: rule that I wouldn't talk to them if they did. Because ironically, when I get into a lift, I don't talk. I don't want to be talked to. Like,
1: yeah, just that would be going
2: mean. headphones in. I do yeah. not. So anytime I got those people, I would just move it along. Right. Wow. Um, yeah. But some people. But if they wanted to talk, I would talk. And so some people would just start talking.
1: Fascinating. Um,
2: and some people are, you know, there's like five of them in the car. Bachelorette oh. parties were the best because
1: oh
2: it seems like there has never been a bachelorette party on earth where all the girls didn't decide to hate one of the girls you oh, know no. like <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah I, I mean like as soon as a bachelorette party would get in within five seconds it was did you hear what michaela said like it just oh, instantly and then there's like you know however 20 30 minutes of that um and you're just taking notes in I'm your just head taking it in i'm like <laughs> i'm like keep talking about michaela i want to hear all about michaela <laughs>
1: Michaela's going to be my next short story I want to know all
2: about because it's very fascinating to hear how when you're the outside party and you find out Michaela said oh I really like your dress and then all of them are talking about what a horrible human being she is for saying that (laughs) again it's that mystery that you have at the beginning of a story of how could someone saying I really like your dress come across as but usually by the end of the ride i was like yeah that was really nasty i can't believe she said that <laughs> wow that you know like so without funny. even realizing it they would sort of make the case to me
0: wow <laughs> yeah i feel Micaela. like you need a little a little statement like a miranda statement in the car that says anything you say can and will be yeah. used in a story oh know? absolutely <laughs> yeah. oh yes
2: and i try to be good about that because I, i've never directly pulled anything because i do understand sure, that like sure, of know, people are entitled to their privacy, you know, I I have a thing about the one thing that I am as a writer that I think is different because I sort of started in theater was you know, the whole thing of like, oh, yeah, just pull anybody, pull your mother, pull your cousin and just put it in. I always try to be very cognizant of who winds up in a story and being yeah. sort of responsible for that. So I'm pretty good about it. There have only been a handful. And a lot of times it's just good writing exercises. You know, it, when, yes, you're, it's very mm-hmm, true. when you're stuck and you don't know what to write about and you go, well, that girl last night was kind of ranting about this. So, yeah. like, let me get in her head for a, a couple of minutes.
1: Yeah. It makes it yeah. more genuine when you have an experience and then write about that experience or people. I'll mesh people together because it yeah. just makes I, And when I do that, people will tell me, This sounds so real. And I'm like, Yeah, it, because it is real. It in is a way, real. <laughs> you know, right. in a way, it's real. And, and I, we're know, all
2: combinations of seven different people, you know? It's, yeah, that's um, true. Interesting. I, I do much of the same thing. And, and even when it comes to overall, Sometimes I'll the, the most success I've ever had is when I've said, well, I have this story, but it's kind of like one note and I have this other story and it's kind of one note. And I really don't know how that, you know, I don't know what to do with either of them and sort of saying, well, could these two things live in the same world or, nice. you know, is there an overlap here? I mean, I, I think all my favorite stories are probably just two boring stories that somebody put together. You
1: know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you know, the funny thing is on this topic, I had a picnic last weekend with some friends and I had no idea that they thought this about me. So she said, she was talking about her career and I was like, yeah, that's so fascinating. Like I I have a, an, a character that's kind of like that. And she was like, Yeah, I I was talking to my husband about this. I've got to be careful what I say in front of you because it oh, might I end hate up in When a story. they <laughs> say that I get so
2: mad when that, you know, because it's like to me it's like low-hanging fruit. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> oh, the writer's got But the problem is they're right. You know, people do do <laughs> exactly. It's offensive, and yet at the same time, there's just so much evidence in their corner. It's like ugh, I know. You know? Um, but years and years ago when blogging was a much bigger thing. When I was single, I had a uh, dating blog and I used to write about dating. And pretty soon after the people started finding the blog and they would sort of say to me like, oh, am I going to wind up in the blog? And you, you kind of understood uh... that like the more they said they didn't want to wind up in the blog, the more they absolutely wanted to wind up in the <laughs> right, blog. Right, oh, you're sure. right. You're right. <laughs> and so it became this endless sort of thing of like, oh, God, like now they're going to bring up the... And it wasn't a blog where I was, you know... T- naming names or, like, talking about, like, oh, this guy did this, and can you believe this? But it was just, you know, my experience dating, and it was just funny because it's really true. Everybody wants to be on TV. Everybody yeah. wants to be in a movie. Yeah. Everybody yeah. wants to appear. You know, people want that sort of attention regardless yeah, very, right. of what it yeah. looks like. Yeah.
1: Mm. So really, it's a compliment. Yeah. Well, let know. me ask this, because
0: one of the things you said in your bio, the background information you sent us, is that you've tried to write a story a week, how is that going, and how do you yeah, do that? That
1: is ambitious for me
2: it's um, I write every day when I started writing, I had been an actor since I was eight years old. Oh, I had wow. always wanted to be an actor, and when i um when I was leaving college, I had not really had much success at acting. Part of it was because people were like, "Well, it's the audition, we don't know what to do with you, you know, and I couldn't hmm. really find when you're an actor, you always have to find characters that are like you so that you can take their words and audition to play people like them in other projects.
3: Oh. And I just couldn't
2: really find anyone like me. So I started writing monologues for myself just to perform at auditions
3: oh, wow. because I
2: couldn't I couldn't find anything that fit me. Yeah. So a lot of my early stuff is literally just 30-second little blips of monologues that sound like they're from bigger plays because I would have to go in and say, I'll be performing John from the Baker's Last Dilemma, you know, and it was, (laughs) there was no Baker's Last Dilemma. There was no... You know, it sounds which, good, though. Yeah, I like no, it. It, I mean, because, and this was really before, like, we had Google, but this was before, like, you used to Google everything, and so okay. right. there was no danger of them finding out that there was no, and there's a million plays. <laughs> uh, in fact, some got, some people used to say to me, like, oh, that's pretty good. Can I read that play? Like, who's that? What's that from? And I'd be like, oh, God. I bit burned. And then, um, one moment, I'm so sorry. So I actually no have a turtle that lives in my- I was wondering my, what was that in that, that cage. In my office. And he, um, he does not like being in the tank. He's had enough. Um,
1: he wants to be out, just cute. roaming. Yeah, he
2: bangs on the glass if you don't let him out. Oh my that goodness, is so that is so weird. cute. Yeah, he gets very cross. Um, so I have to let him out. He does not <laughs> he like being in cross. that tank. Um, okay. <laughs> the cutest. His name is Desmond. He's a tortoise. Um, <laughs> so yeah.
0: So cool. I wish our listeners it's, could see that. When I started I working from
2: home, I said I need a pet, and I because I need something to look at, and um. I thought, well, and everyone's oh, tortoises are really easy. You know, they eat like once every two weeks, and they're just very, you no know, they're very sweet. And I, so I got a big tank. You can, the the people can't see it, but you can see it's right. a pretty big yes. tank. Mm-hmm. And I, I set up a whole little playland for him and everything, and he has no interest. <laughs> he could no care less. Interest. All he wants to do is walk around my apartment. So every day I have to let him out and let him walk around the apartment,
0: and
1: then and, then, and he and just goes out. all over the place.
2: He walks everywhere. Yeah,
1: that everywhere. is amazing. But I have, he have never to, heard like, of that. Watch
0: them. where you step when you're moving around, or you keep your eye on the floor. Uh,
1: well, I
2: kind of. The funny part is, I'm stuck in my office. The whole point was for him to keep me uh. company, and he has no interest. <laughs> in being in this office with me right,
0: you're in there working and he's out there wandering yeah no in the kitchen. he has quite the life <laughs> let me tell you
2: i mean he has spots that he likes napping and stuff anyway sorry for the, the tortoise um, distraction but anyway yeah so i started uh, i started writing monologues and no one was really writing just monologues and then i started performing these monologue shows and then i like to joke that you can and you probably have experienced this as a writer as well i always joke that like you can do anything if, you know amazing and you can do it once and people will then say to you okay now do that again and you do it again and like, do it one more time you do it again and the third time they go is that all you're going to do you know it's like <laughs> well i was just following right, right. what do you yeah. uh, what do you want me to you know so it was like that with the monologues it was like oh this is new and different and then i did that for a year and then they were like why don't you do something else so then i started writing full length plays and then after a certain amount of time writing full length plays people said you know is that have you ever thought about writing a you know short story or whatever So I write every day. I write a monologue every single day. Wow. Um, And it's usually uh, I write more in what would look like poetry form. I don't consider them to be poems. Um, I had a very hard time when I started writing because I would think about creating those big blocks of text. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would get very nervous and overwhelmed because to me it it was like, oh, my God, how do I – how do I construct a paragraph? You know, how do yeah. I sort hmm. of... So I just did, didn't did really worry about that. And I said, I'm just going to break the lines wherever I want to break the lines. And it also helped me as an actor because I sort of saw what I wanted the flow to be like and what I wanted the pacing to be like. Right. Um, and so when I first started working on short stories regularly, which was only about two years ago, I mean, I would do it every so often, but regularly was two years ago. It was really daunting to sort of... Hmm. Uh, think about things like you know sentence structure and paragraph you know there's things that you can do as a playwright that are no big deal and things that as you know when you're working in prose you just you can't do people used to say to me that I would write these sort of endless sentences you know (laughs) um, and they'd be like can you break this up this is all (laughs) one sentence yeah but I was thinking of plays and how people talk
0: yeah right sure
2: you know so that's something that i'm still working on but yeah i i mean i i think it's I, it's important to write a lot and i need to write a short story a week in order for me to get a great or good story that i like every six weeks um yeah. there's a great analogy about golf that um will smith was talking about when he was working on bagger vance the golf movie he said, "What I like about golf is that I could give anybody a hundred golf balls, and if you go hit them, it doesn't matter how much experience you have, you will hit a perfect stroke statistically, uh, it will just happen, but you have to hit hundred golf balls but but for whatever reason, at some point within those hundred you'll hit you will do it perfectly wow. and that's how I kind of think about writing. It's like you just have to write as much as you can right. yeah. and you'll mm-hmm. you'll get something out of it that you're proud of. And so I don't, I could never have written something like this if I hadn't. If you look at past things that I've written, you can see that like, I'm learning how to write this through writing other stuff. Uh, Mm
1: Ah, Interesting. So you have a lot of stories throughout, you know, every week you do one. And maybe you're not really passionate about each of these, but you find that gold within the within the rocks there. What do you do with all the stories that maybe aren't so stellar?
2: I put everything out there. I always okay. did that. I always had a blog where I would put all my writing out. I I believe in showing the work and showing the the warts and because you also never know. You never know what there it's are times true. where I put stuff out and I go, God, this is horrible. Like I wrote something a year ago that I just thought was the most like cliched, tacky, silly, stupid, obvious. It was. They were looking for a comedic piece and. They wanted a comedic piece that sort of had fairy tale elements. And so I sort of wrote this thing. And I said low hanging fruit earlier. That's what it was. It was just like, this is every obvious joke just strung together, you know? And I remember yeah. thinking, God, this is horrible. And it won a contest. Wow. wow. Um, See, I mean, I got know. the email. And that almost messed me up more than getting, <laughs> reje- than getting rejected for stuff I thought I should have won. Because when you right. win for something you don't think is very good, you're kind of like, What's happening here? Yeah, right, right. And luckily, they (laughs) didn't want to talk to me about it. You know, luckily they didn't. (laughs) They didn't have a podcast because I don't know what I would have said. I would have been like, "This is not that good." Like, what were you thinking? (laughs) Yeah, I was very, very confused by it. Um, but again, it's 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 uh, it's definitely something that says you should just put. I believe in just putting everything out there. Just put it all out there. Yeah, that's Um, because it's also really good. I think for other writers to see like oh they don't they're not just churning out polished gems all the time right mm-hmm. you know i think looking at the misfires is
0: interesting
1: yeah yeah that's a good point that's an interesting approach you said jw it makes you think of something
0: yeah well i was gonna say maybe we should have like a themed contest where it's like send us your worst <laughs>
1: writing and we oh could like... that would be fun <laughs> i don't, i guess i guess i would I don't have to know. think about that one yeah <laughs> it could anyway. either be really great or it could be really or like yeah. a
2: contest where it's like, see what I was trying to do here. Because sometimes I think, especially, Ooh. and it's, it's I do, I'm very lucky that I have other friends who write. And a lot of the time, it's not about saying this was garbage. It's sort of about saying, oh, I knew what you were trying. I mean, listen, when you start out with the challenge of, you know, solve an unsolvable problem, sometimes it's not that the work's bad, you just didn't solve the problem. Yeah, And yeah. there's not really any shame in that, you know? Mm-hmm. But by showing it to other people, uh, like you pointed out point of view, um, I'm a big believer in structure. I usually yeah. think if you can just find the right structure for this, it will yeah. click. And yeah. there are times where I've read short stories and thought, oh, see, you're writing a play or you're writing a screenplay. Ah. This is just not a short. This doesn't want to live in this house. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I really
1: like that's interesting. And
2: conversely, I've seen plays and movies where I thought, oh, th- I bet I bet this would have been a really good book you know, or I bet the Mm -hmm. book of this was really good. I just think that there are no, there's no real trash in terms of stories and content. It's really just about the structure. I live and die by, by structure and form and what shape something is going to be in.
1: Yeah. Fascinating. So does that mean that you plot out your stories before you write them?
2: I really wish I could say I outline, but I just don't. It's so funny. I love history. I'm such a history buff. And I always want to work on more historical stuff. But in order to do that, you really have to outline. You can't yeah. really <laughs> you can't really just go in cold. And I just every time I outline, I just feel something dying. You know, I'm like, and it <laughs> and it just feels like a it feels like a fruitless exercise because as I'm doing it, I know I'm like, you are never following this outline. Yeah. I don't know why you're bothering. Yeah, you know, like so this is purely decorative. You know, <laughs> like you are not following this outline. But I do have to let things rattle around in my head for a long time first. And I really think that you have to have, you really have to have some kind of magic moment. You know, you have to have that thing of, oh, you know, this, like I wrote a, I wrote a story recently. I wanted to write about a young girl and her mom. And so the story was structured as the note that her mom leaves her, you know, for when she gets home from school
1: like a list of
2: things to do after school okay and once i figured out that that's what the story was going to be was going to be this list i went okay there we go now i know where now i know where we're going
1: i love those Um, moments
2: yeah so i didn't i didn't know plot wise where we were going and i didn't really know who these two people were but once i had that form i thought okay now i know what to do
0: yeah wow fascinating that's unusual yeah yeah cool
2: and I like that a lot. I like working with forms and sort of saying like, um, I'm a huge George Saunders fan. And so I'm always thinking like, well, could it be a story as a, you know, a set of stereo instructions? Could it be a story, you know, where do, where can you possibly put a story that we haven't seen a story before?
0: Right. Yeah. Well, who, Melissa, do you remember who our, um, we interviewed someone who had a story, was it Kendall? Anyway, one of our authors wrote a story that was told through entries in a um in the when someone dies what's that called at the back of like in the newspaper when you have oh, a like obituary obituary yeah right so it was all these bullet points like notes from different people about the person that died and so yeah. that's the way the story was told it was fascinating i mean i remember yeah. finding it on the website and reading it but anyway um so yeah it's super creative yeah it but just we pulls are you in a little more yeah Oh, I'm well, way over. On, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It's all good. It's all good. Well, so usually our last question is what kind of advice would you provide to new writers or listeners that are just curious about how to get into writing? And it could be a, a reference or, you know, a mentality. It could be any kind of anything.
2: I actually think finding a routine for writing and mm. committing to it is really important i do write a story a week but i do it on fridays Um, because i've noticed that you're in a good mood on friday you know you feel like you can do anything on a friday because it's friday yeah Um, you know i think a lot of people tell themselves they're going to write in the morning you're lying um no you're not you are not getting up at 7 a.m and writing anything decent Don't yourself. how
0: about five yeah anyway. it,
2: I, I guess if you are a morning person go for it but like if you're you really need to be honest with yourself about what kind of person you are right yeah and, i think
1: i think that's the key because i am a yeah. morning person like okay, my so best writing yeah. is 5 a.m like yeah. 5 5 to 7 a.m that's my best
2: see i for the longest time thought i was never going to be a writer because all i read was you have to get up early and write and i'm a night owl so i just thought yeah. well, that i'm never going to be a writer because when am I supposed to do this it didn't occur yeah. to me that like well you just write at night you yeah know? D- we, you everybody's know. different yeah, yeah. You can, so that you would be my do. advice is really have an honest conversation like it's that. just like anything else you have to have an honest conversation with yourself about who you are yeah mm-hmm. because who you are is who you are going to be as a writer yeah. And writing and the process of writing is a wonderful thing that can change your life, but it is not going to change who you are. It is just going to reveal who you are. Oh, so, I like
0: that. Um, wow, fascinating. Good words. Yeah, so yeah. if
2: you are uh, a person who's fascinated with frogs and you start writing, you're going to write about frogs. You know, it, it, <laughs> It's going to come know, out there's, somewhere. There's no reason to think you're not. So um, it's like another version of write what you know, but I think it's more about write be honest about what it is you have the capacity and the attention span and the passion to write about.
1: I think that's so great because it gives people permission to step outside of that box. Like you were told you have to write in the morning and not everybody has to write in the morning. You write when it fits your schedule, but you make it a priority yourself to write every single day. And I find it interesting that you said you write every day, but you don't write your your story. I was thinking you like wrote pieces of your story. No, I have to
2: work on something different every so my and I know we're wrapping up. but So my, my basic routine is because I still write plays. And I have all these ideas, you know, I have Post-its everywhere. And one of the things I found that really helped when I was a kid, I could never sit and read 50 pages of a book. I would just zone out. But I could read 10 pages. But there were all these books I wanted to read. So I would read 10 pages of five different books every day. Mm. Wow. Um, And by doing that, it was like I could, you know, I, I just have a short attention span. So every day I work on a short monologue that's usually about probably the equivalent of like a page and Mm -hmm. then i usually have about two different plays that i'm working on but i only work on one page of each a day and with plays that's really nice because plays are usually only 90 pages so basically after three months even if you do one page a day you've got a complete play Mm -hmm. um and then every friday i do the short story and so the week sort of builds to the story
1: when you do it that
2: way you know you're doing all this little work and then you get to friday and now you're ready to dive into the the story. And then weekends, depending on how I'm feeling, are for like revising. So if I want to revise one of the plays, if I want to submit something to a contest, that's when you sort of do the, that's when I do the revisions. Nice. Um, but you have to, you have to find some way. But again, it's really what you're capable of. If you think... I all I have in me is a paragraph. It's just like how they say exercise. Just exercise. Yeah. You know, if you can only do five push-ups, do five push-ups. Or if you're having a day where you got nothing, you got nothing, mm-hmm.
3: right?
2: You know. But I will say, and I really believe this, I could not now have a day where I don't write. Ah, I couldn't I do it. That. It would not wow, be. That's great. I would feel out of sorts. Like yeah. I would feel it. It wouldn't feel right. And yeah. so I tell people, if you can really just get into it as a habit yeah um but also just being honest and saying like i cannot work on that novel today right yeah but write something something else else. go write something else right and one of the things that i think is useful is okay well i was working on a play and and i was like "I, i don't have it in me today but there was a character in the play that i was really interested in and had not really fleshed out and i said okay well i'm gonna write like a page about her not a play, like a prose, Ooh. something. Yeah. So I basically just wrote a backstory for her. I love and then that. it was so, it was different enough where I was excited to work on it. Yeah. But then when I went back to the play, I had a backstory for a character that I had been struggling with.
3: Perfect. Yeah. That's so, great. you know, it's that's just nice. about
2: figuring out what are you capable of today, but doing something every day.
1: Yeah, that's permission. Permission yeah. to not have... You don't have to have a plan that follows everybody else's plan. You can develop your own plan that works. But I tell you, and then I know we're out of time. But the one other thing is when you get into that routine, like you said, and it becomes a part of you, like a stitch within you, it is so fascinating how when you stop doing it. I recently finished a novel. I didn't really know where to go next. I I told myself, I'm going to have some time to just not write for a little bit. And I was off. I was off until I started editing again this past week. And, I, and then I was like, yes, I'm back. But for that whole time, I was not writing. I have been off. And I thought, what's wrong with me? It's because I wasn't writing. And It so, really is
2: like exercise. It's like the gym. Yeah. It's like people who go to the gym. I'm not one of them. But it's yeah, like people who go to <laughs> <laughs> I, I've heard that, yeah, people who <laughs> go to the, you know, if they don't go, if they stop going, it just they start to feel out of sorts. And that's, yeah, that's how that, I feel with writing. Yeah. Yeah. I would just yeah, say to right. the last thing is I always think you're better off starting out saying I I am going to write this wonderful paragraph and then discovering that, oh, it's actually a page. Oh, it's actually yeah. a story. Oh, there's a book here. You know, I I used to teach writing every so often. I would come in as a guest artist and my I would sit with like, you know, 20 year olds who were like ready to write Gatsby. And I was like, <laughs> I hope you do write Gatsby. I think if you have Gatsby in you, you should write it. But if you set out to do Gatsby, it's going to cripple you. Mm -hmm. yes you know it will cripple you thinking about writing the corrections you know it will cripple you thinking about writing anacroidina so like maybe sort of just tell yourself that you are just going to write a couple pages and see what comes out of that
0: yeah that's smart good good advice yeah well this all right yeah this has been great so much
2: fun thank you so much yeah
0: thanks for coming on the show and happy to have you on Melissa, anything you want to say for yeah.
1: we Well, just congratulations, and I wish you the best. Thank you.
0: Great. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please help us spread the word by telling your friends or giving us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Those reviews really make a difference. The Story Discovery Podcast is a free, narrated podcast of the works that appear in Etched Onyx Magazine edited by J.W. McAteer. All stories and poems are available for free at onyxpublications.com. That's O-N-Y-X publications.com. If you'd like to support the continuation of this podcast and or the magazine, please consider a small donation through Patreon at patreon.com slash onyxpublications. As a nano-publishing house, we are always looking for new works to showcase, If you'd like to submit a story or poem for consideration, please visit the submissions page on our website. In the meantime, keep reading and writing.